turn in your Bibles over to Isaiah chapter 30. We're in the book of Isaiah. It's like old school right here. How many of you guys have read the entire book of Isaiah? Okay. How many of you guys feel like, wow, that is a really tough book to read? <laughs> it is hard to follow, okay? I mean, it's not in, 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 uh, uh, it's not in order. Uh, you know, it's not, it doesn't follow this timeline. It's kind of back and forth, and we're reading through these oracles, and the woe, I mean, it's like woe to you, and woe to you, and woe to you, and, and, and it's, it's God um, really calling his people back. Uh, what's important for us as we read um, any part of the Bible um, is, is Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 5. This is what's really cool about living when we're living, okay, in this era. In Matthew 5, Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law. In fact, I came to fulfill everything in the law, everything that was written in the law and the prophets and the writings, Jesus fulfilled. And if you haven't, Alex preached a sermon about a month ago now called From Shadow to Reality, and you can go on our podcast or on the website. If you haven't heard that, this takes that idea and kind of fleshes it out of what it meant that in the Old Testament, we're really seeing Jesus who will later fulfill all of that. It's this picture of the church, discipleship, Jesus, salvation. It's all in the Old Testament, and then it's fulfilled in Jesus and his church. And it's so important that we keep in mind the big picture of the Bible. So you remember there's 66 books in our Bible, right? And it's like a library. What you have sitting in front of you right there is 66 individual books. It wasn't written by a single author. It was written by men over thousands of years, 1,500, 2,000 years, from all different walks of life. There were kings and there were prophets. There were farmers. There were guys who were tax collectors, all different phases, and, and they came together and were inspired to write this message. But it's important because as disciples, We've got to know the big picture of the Bible, right? That's why we've got to be reading it and in it and seeing this message, all right? Because ultimately at the end of, even today, the end of reading a, a portion of his scripture, the end of studying the Bible in any way requires and is really meant to call us to one conclusion. And that conclusion is, I want to be a student of Jesus, I want to follow that guy. That's the conclusion is when it comes down to it, it's like, hold on a minute. There's the world. And, and I really, really appreciate what Rich shared. But he, he illustrated there's these two paths. There's the world and there's following Jesus, right? There's the wide gate and the narrow gate. And any time we come in contact with the word of God, it's that idea of going, okay, what I'm inspired to do is I, my practical application of this is to follow Jesus, to be a greater student of his, to grow, to open my eyes more. Maybe I see him, but maybe there's something else that, 
that, that the word of God has inspired me to do. But it really comes back to there should be something in us going, that's who I always want to follow. And I don't ever want to turn away from him. And I want to keep going. All right. That's what the message of the Bible is telling me and you. All right. So here in Isaiah 30, um, God has gone through and he's been inspiring Isaiah to write these, these, uh, these <laughs> oracles. And he says, you know, woe to these different people, woe to Egypt, woe to these different groups of folks, woe to Jerusalem. Chapter 30, it's titled, Woe to an Obstinate Nation. Sometimes you, in the Bible, you've got to go back and use a dictionary, right? <laughs> you've got to go, is obstinate good or bad? Yeah. All right. Well, whoa, whoa means <laughs> probably not that great, okay? Whoa, obstinate, what does that word mean? Stubborn, bullheaded, difficult. God calls that stiff-necked. That's what he calls it in the Bible. It's just, you know, you're, I am bullheaded. I'm going to do my own thing. And, and in Isaiah 30, he goes to describe this nation, all right? And when you read chapter 30, the thought that kept coming into my mind is, this is what happens when God isn't big enough for us. These are the things that we're about to read when God isn't big enough for us. All right? And what I mean by that is not to say that God shrinks and grows and gets larger and smaller and all of these things. What I mean is, and I think we all, we, we all can connect with that, is isn't it easy to shrink God in our thinking? Like we start thinking less of God. We start thinking like, wow, he, he's not that powerful. He's not as big as he says he is. He's not as great or strong or powerful. And the more he shrinks, we're going to read about that. But this is what happens when God isn't big enough. Now, you'll read, if you're going to read in Isaiah, about 10 chapters later in Isaiah 40, um, roughly right in there. You don't have to turn there. Um, is the Assyrian army is coming after Jerusalem. So do you remember in the cities back then, they had a wall around the entire city, right? And that was for protection. Usually the cities were up on a hill, right? And so it was hard to invade, and they had these walls. And here comes the Assyrian army. The Assyrians were taking over the world at this time. The most powerful army. Now let me ask you something here. Is, is, is there a city in the New Testament, in the, in the Old Testament, I mean, that was based in Assyria. Can you think of a town, a city, that was in Assyria in the Old Testament? Mm -mm. It was, but that, was, that became like, a, like the, the empire. But Nineveh, all right? What is Nineveh? Where, now, where have you heard Nineveh before? Jonah, okay, and why this is big picture Bible right here is going, oh, wow, he's, the Assyrians are the enemies of God's people. And God actually sends a prophet to their capital to call them to repentance. And I just say that as a side note to remind us that isn't that interesting that God even sent a prophet to his enemies to call them to repentance and when they repented, he honored that repentance, okay? I just want us to think, we've got to think big things about God, 
all right? And you have the Assyrian army that's swarming through. They've already taken over the Israel, okay? Samaria and Israel, and they're coming, and they're at the doors of Jerusalem in Isaiah 40, and they're literally standing at the wall talking to the guys up on the wall. And they're saying, don't let your king convince you that God will save you. Like, that's what they're saying over and over and over again. And they're yelling it to the people. Don't let Hezekiah fool you. No God has ever stopped us. No one's God. Look at all these people. And they list off every person that they've conquered. And they said their gods couldn't stop us. Don't let Hezekiah make the same mistake with you guys. Like, come and let us in right now. And if you don't, he said, you guys are going to eat your own filth and you're going to drink your own urine this is what this is right there in the bible and they said this over and over again and this is sometimes what we hear from the world is this idea of you hear it over and over again is don't be fooled all right god can't help you god can't save you god can't be your refuge and this is what the world keeps like lobbing over and over and over again and if you don't come out and follow me you're going to be in in horrific shape and this is what happens and all of a sudden god gets smaller and smaller and smaller all right and then when he gets smaller we get more scared right we we lose our courage we lose we start getting cynical and bitter all right and so this is what we want to learn today we want to get a little bit of an idea I always like, to, to me, where I start out is, is I, I love to kind of get a, I've got to reset my mind sometimes as far as like, what are we talking about when we're talking about God being big? Like, what are we really talking about? And we won't even talk about the entire universe, just our galaxy, which is the name of our galaxy is what, by the way? The Mil- That's important to know, okay? Because a lot of times what we do is, no, the Milky Way is something we see in the sky, and we point to it, and yes, we see it from a standpoint of the plane we're on. We can see it as a part of it, but we're in the Milky Way galaxy, all right? And the Milky Way galaxy, from where we, all the way across 100,000 light years, okay? Now, the question is, is how many people here have gone in the speed of light before, Right? You haven't, okay? Is that, David's like, I did one time, you know? But, but the truth is, is when you think of going the speed of light, I don't know how fast you drove here, okay? If you were driving on the interstate, like the fastest speed limit I know of anywhere that I've ever driven is like 70, I think. Does it get hot? Is it 80 in Texas? Which it should be, okay? I mean, that's the only way you get through Texas under a week, okay? Is you've got to... So, even if you went 80 miles an hour, what's the fastest somebody's driven in here before? Has anybody driven faster than 90? What? Are you kidding me? I was like, I'm like, you started way high. I seriously was like, no, there's going to be maybe like one person messing around. I'm like, golly, what's wrong with you people? 100. Goodness gracious. 125? We're going NASCAR speed up here. 150? Okay, we didn't get, okay. Because I've been to, I've sat in the third row of corner one at the Atlanta Motor Speedway, and they hit about 215 miles an hour around that. And I remember that was so fast, it scared me when the cars drove by. I was like, ah, just watching them go by. So 125 is smoking. I don't even know what to say about that. I feel like I should rebuke people, you know? But the thing about it is, is 
it's not the speed of light. And if you were traveling at the speed of light, you would have to travel 100,000 years to get from one end of our galaxy to the other. And our galaxy in the, in the, in the whole realm of the universe is that little pinprick. All right? So you're going, wow, let, let's reset the size of what we're talking about here, right? So our sun is how far away from us? How many miles away is our sun from Earth? How, how many? A couple thousand, right? You're like, that's a lot. A couple thousand miles, you know? Talk about a sunburn I would get if it was a couple thousand miles. I got to put SPF like 50 on when it's... You know, nighttime practically to not get a sunburn. So we got a couple thousand. Okay, what else does anybody else say? Huh? I don't know. So let me just give you a hint. It takes eight minutes for light to get to us from the sun. Okay, so it's eight light minutes away. (laughs) Okay, 100,000 light years across. The sun is eight light minutes away. How, How far away is the sun? A billion. Okay, so we have a thousand and a billion. Okay, anybody else have something? Yes. What do you say? A Google? That's right. That actually is a number. Most of the kids here is going, that's a search engine. No, that's actually a number. I commend you for knowing that. Huh? Okay, the sun is 93 million miles away from us right now. Okay, how many of you guys on a hot day have felt like I am walking on the face of the sun right now? 93 million miles away is the sun. 93 million miles away. And there are times in the middle of the summer you're going, oh my goodness, it feels like it's a thousand feet above me, right? What's interesting is, is it looks big, right? How many earths could fit into the sun? 1.3 million Earths could fit into the sun. 1.3 million planet Earths could fit into the sun. Now, now, just to put that in perspective, if you had to drive around the circumference of the Earth, you would go, that's a long road trip. Right? That's a long road trip. 1.3 million of those could fit into the sun. All right? That's what we're talking about, like when we're talking about God being big, and we haven't got into his bigness yet. We've talked about this little tiny thing that was created, okay? So see that little, see that little mark? That's the sun? That's the sun size compared to the biggest star we know of. That's the proportion. Canis Majoris, right. This big dog. That's that star. And, and so why do I bring all this stuff up? I mean, you could go on and on, but it's that idea of we've got to, God has to, we could never make God too big. Do you believe that? Like, do you believe you could say something that somebody would go, no, 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 they, they, he, he can't be that big. We can never make God too big, but we've got to continue because when he's not big enough, let's read about this in Isaiah 30. When he's not big enough for us in verse 1, uh, we're going to start reading here. Woe to the obstinate, the stubborn children, declares the Lord. To those who carry out plans that are not mine, forming an alliance but not by my spirit, heaping sin upon sin, who go down to Egypt 
without consulting me, who look to Pharaoh for help and protection, to Egypt's shade for refuge, but Pharaoh's protection will be your shame. Egypt's shade will bring you disgrace. I want you to jump down to verse 9. These are rebellious people, deceitful children, children unwilling to listen to the Lord's instructions. They say to the seers, see no more visions, and to the prophets, give us no more visions of what is right. Tell us pleasant things and prophesy illusions. Leave this way, get off this path, and stop confronting us with the Holy One of Israel. This is the stubborn children. This is the obstinate people of God. And when God is not big enough for us, we do the same thing that they did. We're going to carry out plans that are not the Lord's. We're going to begin carrying out plans. Isaiah 30, woe to the obstinate children, those who carry out plans. They form an alliance, but not by my spirit, heaping sin upon sin, who go down to Egypt without consulting me. So there's a way we can justify this, though. Like we all agree already that doing something clearly opposing God is not his plan. We already agree with that. Sometimes we think to ourselves, oh, what what they're talking about is, is you're making plans and they're absolutely polar opposite of what God would want. But there are plans that seem like good ideas. How many of those have you made in your life? I I know I've made lots of them where you think this is clearly, I don't even have to ask God. I don't have to pray. I don't have to even get some perspective because I already know these are God's plans. Have you ever done that before? Have you ever thought, I didn't even count. I'm not even inquiring of God. Like what is the threshold where we stop inquiring? Like how big does the decision have to be? When we go, nah, you know, like, how big does it have to be? When do we stop going, I don't need to ask God about this. I don't need to inquire about this. Like, how, where's that level? Like, give me a specific where you would go, nah, I don't think I need to inquire about this. Yeah, right. (laughs) Do I want some water today? Or, you know, and I I would kind of like some Pellegrino I don't know. I'm kind, of, I'm kind of like, dude, if you have to like pray about that, then, then someone can help you with that. Okay. I mean, that, 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 I think we can agree that we don't need to inquire of the Lord. Warm water, cold water, tap water, Brita water. You know, it's like that. Um, what, what else? Like, let's bring it up a notch, you know, like students, like for campus students, when you're, when you're figuring out the classes to take and how you're going to fit in a schedule, does it matter to inquire of the Lord? Yeah. Say that, JC. Yeah. That, so they make the decision as far as what, like what you can take and all that kind of stuff. But let's say you have a choice of taking 25 hours 
or 15 hours. All right? It doesn't matter to God, do you think? That we should, let me inquire, because if I take 25 hours, then what does that imply? I'm like, wow, that, what will that do to me at the end of the semester? Have you, how many of you guys have taken a semester like that, where you have, there's, there's been so many hours at the end, you're like, I'm just quitting and going to work at the circus or something. <laughs> I mean, you are so broken down, and it's that idea of, where did you inquire of the Lord at all on that? All right, buying houses, doing, I mean, there's so many things of going, am I going to inquire of the Lord? Proverbs 12, 15, you can write that down. The way of a fool seems right. Yeah, ever said that? that seems right. <laughs> You're like, well, that's when we have the most in common with a fool. That seems right. It says, but the wise listen to advice. The way of, I want you to think about that. The way, that's Proverbs 12, 15. Zephaniah 1, verse 4. I do want you to turn there so you can get practice finding Zephaniah. <laughs> you you got to know where Zephaniah is. Be able to handle that. Now, some of y'all have your phones and you're like, <laughs> got you. <laughs> this is easy. I'm there. Zephaniah. Verse 1, Zephaniah chapter 1, I'm sorry. I will stretch out my hand against Judah, against all who live in Jerusalem. I'll cut off from this place every remnant of Baal, the names of the pagan and the idolatrous priests, those who bow down on the roofs to worship the starry host, those who bow down and swear by the Lord who, and who also swear by Moloch, those who turn their back from following the Lord and neither seek the Lord nor inquire of him. All right? Just God's word, what he's saying here is, I will stretch my hand against this. If you're worshiping another God, even if you're worshiping me, but you worship Moloch as well. And in that group, those who turn back from following me and neither seek me nor inquire of me. God says, I stretch out my hand to that. Right? Like, let that sink in for, for a second. God says, when we stop inquiring of him, he stretches his hands out. The same way he does if we decided to worship him here and then go worship a false god this afternoon. It's in that same group of teachings right there. And so it's the idea of when God gets small, right, when he's, when he's small, we start carrying out plans that aren't his. When, when God is not big enough for us, what we start doing is looking for help from others who aren't God. We, we begin to do that. What does that look like? Well, in Isaiah 30, what he's saying is, is that you guys, you, you're going to Egypt. Like you're, you're scared right now. And you're actually looking to help from Egypt. Like you think Pharaoh is going to help you. 
and, and you're so scared right now that you think if we could just go back to Egypt. Now, as an Israelite, what is Egypt's history with Israel? Right. They, they enslaved the Israelites. The Israelites, that's, that's how, that's, they left there. God, God brought them out through the Red Sea because in, in Egypt, Pharaoh was making them do hard labor and make the bricks with the straw and all of these kind of things. And they were crying out to God. And, and now Israel was in a place that was like, you know what? Egypt wasn't so bad. Maybe they can help us now. Does that seem weird to you? Like, that should seem weird to you. You should go, what were you thinking? Like, what in a million years would make you think Egypt could help you? And you know what they say later in Isaiah 30? They say because Egypt had fast horses. They wanted a cavalry. They saw their enemy coming, and they're like, we need help, and it's going to be from Egypt because they have fast horses. We want to be protected from them. And this can happen to me and you. When God is small, we start looking like there's somebody that can help me, okay? It's different for me and you today, though. It's different to what we look for. We can look for, and I know, I know Ian can attest to this, when we take the professions that all kids want to be when they grow up, you, you want to be a movie star, an astronaut, an athlete, some, somebody of renown, you know, you want to do that. And we think when you get that, and the people that get that, they're the happiest people in the world. They're the most fulfilled people. In the NFL, every guy in the NFL that's realized their dreams from being a child, they're all happy, right? And fulfilled. Like you get there and you're like, whoa, I thought that about baseball. Is you get there and you're like, everything is perfect now, except that's not true, huh? You talk, you, you, we see it all the time in the headlines actors and actresses and you think wow if I was we watched a Julia Roberts movie last night okay and and you, oftentimes you would think if if I was that successful I would be the happiest person in the world like everywhere I walk around people love you and they want your autograph and your you know star on the walk of fame and if I had that everything would be perfect if I could put on a professional athlete uniform everything would be perfect all right. And, and it's easy for us to say, oh, no, 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 it wouldn't be that way. But because we're not like actually able to do that right now. <laughs> OK, but that's the dream that you think of. If I could be in the Olympics and I could, if I could walk in holding the flag, how Michael Phelps life has to be perfect. The most decorated Olympian in history. Except. You want to know what is he's quit a couple times because he was arrested for DUI twice. That doesn't sound like a fulfilled life to me. The most decorated Olympian in history. And you feel seriously like I've got to go and numb myself from the world. That doesn't sound fulfilling to me, but we look, we spend time and effort and it may be a profession. It may, not be a, it may not be like the, the elite movie star, pro athlete, kind of astronaut, you know, all of this kind of stuff. But it can be a profession that you feel like if I got that thing, if I could just go here and work here, that would fulfill me. 
That's when God is small, when we're thinking that way. Like when, when, when a certain job can do it. A lot of times, many people became Christians because you were tired of being in relationships. Like if you, were a, if you became a Christian before you were married, oftentimes you were so tired of being in relationships that were immoral and unhappy and going nowhere and self-centered and all of these things, okay? And, and that sometimes opens our eyes to becoming a Christian. And then what happens is we become a Christian and we start thinking, you know what I really need now? A boyfriend or a girlfriend. That's what will fulfill me. That's what's fulfilling, except I don't know how many of you guys, do you remember like some of the older folks? Do you remember being in middle school and high school and you were certain that you just fell in love with your wife, your future wife? Like you were certain that person that you loved, you were going to love them forever. And they were going to be absolutely perfect. Okay? Has that happened to anyone in here? Y'all that are driving 125 miles an hour, okay? I know you're living life in the fast lane, okay? So the thing is, is that's happened, all right, where you're going, this is the person, I don't care what anybody says, I don't, they're going to fulfill me, and then four months later, you hate them. Have you ever had that happen? You, you, or you're like, how could I? What? I mean, that was kind of my story going through high school and college. It's like you get into a relationship, then you're like, golly, this is horrible. How did I ever like this person? I'm sure they were saying the same thing about me, <laughs> okay? And why I say that is because it's fool's gold. Having a boyfriend, a girlfriend, and even marriage, sometimes you go, no, but if I got married, has marriage fixed your problems? Were you able to go, Pro my problems are bad, but at least I'm married. Oftentimes it's like my problems are bad and my spouse is not helping me with that, okay? It's, it's more difficult with two, okay? Right. I, 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 Abby got all the junk that came with me, okay? And so why I say that is because that's the thing where we go. We can be Christians and we can be following, but as God gets smaller, we say things to ourselves like, you want to know what I really need right now is a boyfriend or a girlfriend. And I'm going to make, you ever made a rash decision when it came to dating? Have you ever, like, been like, I want that... This is so right. I'm just like, we're just, we're together now, 24-7, all right? And you didn't even think about it, all right? Because it's that idea of going, man, I just, this is what's going to fulfill me. I can't slow down. I'm this close to fulfillment, except it's fool's gold. It's God has become small, and we're looking for refuge and protection from something that can't do it. All right? Or marriage, if I just get married, or if I just get this job, or any of these things... Because that's what's going to make my life absolutely perfect. That's who's going to protect me when I'm scared. Because when we get scared, that's when God gets small. Okay? I want to show you a passage in Isaiah 37. I want to show you, this is God right here, okay? So, so uh, the dude from Assyria that was picking on his people, the guy from Assyria that was telling them, hey, you know what, y'all are going to, you're, you're in big trouble, all right? This is what God says to him. All right, and I want you to think about this. This is what God says to that guy. Isaiah 37, verse 28. I know where you stay. I know when you come and go and how you rage against me. 
Because you rage against me and because your insolence has reached my ears, I will put my hook in your nose and my bit in your mouth, and I will make you return by the way you came. He's saying this to the greatest world power on earth. He's he's saying, listen, King, Sennacherib, you down there, I hear what you're saying. And listen, you're going to keep it up, and you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to put my hook in your nose and my bit in your mouth, and I'm going to walk your army right on out of here. All right? Who do you know that can do that? Seriously, who do you know that that's bad, that is that awesome and that powerful that could go to the world power and go, listen, I know what you do, how you do it, where you are. I see everything you do. And this is what I'm about to do to you. And he goes on in verse 36. Then the angel of the Lord went and put to death 185,000 Assyrians. God was like, I'm just going to start by letting you know that you're picking on the wrong guy. My one angel will wipe out 185,000 of your people. That's Knoxville, Tennessee. That's one angel walking into Knoxville and wiping them out. And God is going, just so you get an idea of what I can do. Who do you know that can do that? What boyfriend or girlfriend or wife or profession has that kind of strength? and protection, and rep. who does that, right? And if we don't magnify God that big, we start looking all over the place for something else. We start looking for help from others who aren't God because God is small for us. And then we start to yearn to hear what our itching ears want to hear, all right? What, what he said here in Isaiah 30 Right down there at the bottom, he said what the people were saying. They say to the seers, no more visions. To the prophets, give us no more visions of what is right. Tell us pleasant things. Prophesy illusions. Stop confronting us with the Holy One of the Lord. And when God becomes small, we're like, I have no time. This is a waste of Stop like doing this. He's not big enough for us. Like we want Egypt and we want We want people who can help us stop telling me different things. Stop confronting me with a small God. And this is so pertinent today. So difficult for us today. Because we're not talking about Christianity and another religion. We're not talking about another country. We're not talking about... We're talking about right here on in our country... Is the, is the crossroads of, do I want to hear what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, or do I want somebody to tell me what it takes for me to just be a member of the church? Because if we want to hear what it means to really be a disciple, it's offensive at times. It's difficult to hear. It's the truth that stings. It's a truth that we may go, wow, why am I just hearing this right now? And we can sit in church and go, no, 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 just tell us we're all okay. Just tell us we're all fine. Just tell us if we just go to a church that's a Christian church, everybody's going to be okay, except Jesus didn't die, so we would just want to not go to hell. Does that make sense right there, what I just said? Because it was wordy, okay? I don't know if I understood it too well. But it's the idea of Jesus didn't die and call us to follow him, so the only thing we would want is I just don't want to go to hell. He's saying, no, I died so you would follow me. 
And so you would think what I think, and you would love the way I love, and you would believe what I would believe, and you would walk the way I walk and interact with people the way I interact with people. That's Jesus. All right? And we're at that crossroads where this happens. Like, we hear this in Clemson, South Carolina. We hear this in New York City. We hear this in San Francisco. We hear this in different, where you hear people saying, no, no, no. If you say something I don't want to hear from the pulpit, right, I, tell me something I want to hear. Tell me something that's simpler and easier. Instead of the attitude when God is big, we, we have one response is help me follow you. That's it, because you are so big and so enormous. And so it doesn't matter how scared I get, you are the guy. Like, I want your angel. I don't know what his name is that did that to, to the 185,000. I want him hanging out with me. Okay? I, that's how big you are. You commanded that guy. All right? He's better than Braveheart. He's better than Gladiator. He's better than, you name it, the Patriot. Any of the things that Mel Gibson did. Okay, any of his roles, he's better than Mel Gibson. That God is bigger than Mel Gibson. I should, that's what I should name the sermon today, okay? But this is what will happen, and we'll start wanting that. In 2 Timothy 4, he actually says this will happen, that there's going to be a time in our day when we start just wanting, we gather people around us who will just say what we want to hear. And so you got to ask yourself, is that what's happening? Like, I'm just going to get people around me who's going to say what I want to hear. And I hope it's religious because that's making us feel better when that happens. What's the conclusion of all of this? We've got to challenge the size of God to us. God's size hasn't changed. He, you know, we, we have the Hubble Space Telescope that can zoom us all the way back into, like, back to when creation began. Is that amazing? We can get stunningly close to that point when creation began with pictures. That's amazing to me. 14, 15 billion years ago. Is God that big to me and you? Is God big enough to, in our fear of not knowing what's going to happen, to inquire, to just want, God, I want what you want. You tell me what you want me to do. Like, what's his word saying to me and you? Is he that big or has he shrunk? That, that's the thought. We've got to, like, think, wow, is he... That, a couple weeks ago when I preached the sermon and I shared with you guys, just it's been difficult, like I feel just reactive, unloving, I feel faithless, I feel all those things. As I work through that more and more, this is the problem, is a small God, we're reactive and we're faithless and we're cynical and we don't think things can get better and we don't think this is... This, this is our goal. How big is God to me and you? And if that makes you feel impersonal, sometimes people go, well, he's that big. It's, it loses its personal touch. I can't, I can't really understand what that is. All you have to do is go back when we preached a few months ago in Ephesians. That's the enormous God coming down and going, 
you're the one I want. You're exactly who I want. And that right here with me. Okay, that's, you can take the grandeur of God and read Ephesians and get that personal kind of connection there. Okay, but that's what I want you to leave with today is, is how big is God? And, and how, like, like, what are those areas? Which one of these am I, am I even inquiring of God anymore? Is my support system just a worldly support system? Like, I'm not really even going to God. I'm looking for help from people who aren't God. And I just want to be around people who are just going to tell me what I want to hear. Is to examine those things. All right? And, and next week, we're going to kind of launch off into a, a little side note from this. But I would encourage you to go back and read Isaiah 30 through 36, 37, 38. Really, Isaiah 30 through 39 will give you kind of this picture of the magnitude of God.